They say in order to trap an animal, you have to have a few things going for you. You have to have the right gear. You have to be targeting the right area to know about where the animal is going to be. And then once you find the right area, you have to have the right set. A dirt hole, a favorite spot on the trail, just the spot where you're going to finally put up the trap and hopefully catch the animal. And then the last thing you need is the bait, something to draw the animal to the trap, and then boom, you have it. Hey, welcome back. It's good to see you again. We are in chapter 20. And no, we're not going to be talking about trapping today. Uh, That's really the last thing you'd want me to be talking to you about. Basically, everything I just told you is all I know. And I just had to research that. No, the reason why we're talking about trapping today is because that's really what uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all of them are trying to do with Jesus. They are trying to trap him. They are trying to get him where they want him so that they can expose Jesus and thus put everything back to the way they want it to be. They want to expose Jesus, show that he is not the Messiah. He is not the individual that his own disciples think that he is. Remember, they were shouting and screaming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. They don't want people to believe this. They want to expose Jesus, show him for who they think he really is. But there's only one problem. This is Jesus. He is who Jesus says he is. But see, that's the other thing about trapping. If you're going to trap something or trap someone, it's usually best if they don't know you're hunting them. But as with Jesus, he knows everything. So really, they have the odds stacked against them. But Jesus' authority is going to be challenged. And we knew that was going to be the case even when he came in uh, to Jerusalem. We knew that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes were, were going to be on Jesus. They were going to try to figure out a way to stump him. This is their territory now. We said that yesterday. Uh, and since he cleansed the temple, which was their place, you know they're going to be frustrated by this. And so they come to Jesus asking him, why? Or better yet, What? What authority do you have where you can do these things? Who's giving you this authority? What high priest? What high Pharisee? What person said that you're able to do this? Now, of course, for Jesus to answer it, he'd have to say, well, it wasn't a person. It's divine. But he's not going to be uh, so easy to answer. He doesn't answer to them. Jesus is going to play hardball just like they are. I'll tell you, but only if you first answer my question, then I'll answer yours. John the Baptist, was he a guy from heaven? Did God give him his authority or is it a man-made authority? Tell me. See, the problem here with this is that uh, these um, Pharisees and scribes, they didn't like John either, right? Remember, John was preaching really about them and telling them that they weren't having fruits of repentance in their lives. If they say that John was just a normal man, that's going to get people upset. The very people they're trying to influence to help overrun Jesus. But they liked John. See, the crowd liked John. They went out to John. So they don't want to get on these people's bad side of trying to influence them. 
But if they say, well, you know what? We think John was from God. Well, then Jesus is going to say, then why didn't you repent? Why didn't you listen to him? Why weren't you one of his disciples? So in the end, no matter what they say, Jesus is going to make them look foolish some way, shape, or form. And see, this is always the problem with the Pharisees. It's their pride. If they'd be humble and give an answer, then at least Jesus would say something. But in their pride, they're worried about how they look. And thus, they're not going to get to the truth because they're not concerned about the truth. They only want Jesus to be the Messiah that they want him to be. But hey, that's not the way it works, is it? God isn't the kind of God that we want him to be in the sense that he gives us everything that we want or does everything that we want him to do. No, we know better than that, don't we? God doesn't answer to us. God is God. We are not. And thankfully, God is God and we are not. He knows better. He knows us better and he knows what's best for us in this creation. (laughs) Well, it doesn't stop here, of course. That's just the beginning. It continues. The parable of the wicked tenants where you have these individuals who who are renting out some land and the owner sins. Uh, some individuals to get the money that's due to him from these tenants who have leased out the land. The problem is these tenants are abusing these servants. They send them away empty-handed, treat them shamefully, beat them. And finally, the owner says, you know what? I'm going to send to my son. They'll respect my son. We have this agreement. They're on my land. And what do they say? No, we'll just kill them. We'll kill the son and then we'll just acquire this for ourselves because nobody else can take over the land. It'll be ours. See, this is exactly what the Pharisees are trying to do. This is exactly what God's people have done all along. God has sent his prophets over and over again in the Old Testament. Turn back to me. Come back to me. This is not what you are supposed to be doing. This is not how you are called to live. God wants the fruits but they don't supply it. They keep wanting to take over. They want to be God. They want God to do what they think God should do. Or better yet, yeah, they just want to be their own God. They want to rule. They want to reign. So what are they going to do? They're going to take Jesus, try to strip him of all of his authority, kill him, and they're in charge again. Well, of course, the thing about this Everything they want to do to Jesus, they're going to be able to do. But it's not going to be them taking Jesus' life. Jesus will lay it down when he's ready, when it's time. So while they are on the hunt, Jesus is on the hunt too, doing what he has been called to do. But the hunt is going to continue. We move on. Uh, Paying taxes to Caesar. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was just to stand up and say, no taxes ever again. No, that's not true. We actually do need some taxes, right? Some things, taxes are are required, but we're not going to get into that. But what we see here is the scribes and the chief priests, they're all coming together now to to try to trap Jesus. Uh, The next couple uh, paragraphs here are going to be about that. And what's interesting is that you have the scribes, chief priests, and Pharisees. They don't always get along. In fact, a lot of times they have arguments about who's right for particular things. And uh, the next section about the resurrection is going to give us a little bit more insight about that. But they're all trying to team up. 
They want to get him to say something that will trap him, either morally in the law or actually legally with uh, the law of Caesar, right? Who really is uh, the one who's in charge right now. So they ask Jesus if they, can, if they should pay taxes, right? If, they, if he says yes, then maybe he'll show uh, allegiance uh, to the government, which is what they think the Messiah is supposed to do, deliver them from the government. If he says no to paying taxes, well, then they could have him arrested for starting some kind of rebellion. So you can see that they're really putting Jesus in a sticky situation. They're trying to trap him. They think they got him, but... He has a great response. Show me the coin. Who's on there? Caesar? Okay, well then, whatever belongs to Caesar, you give it to him. But whatever belongs to God, you got to give it to God. Of course, how do you determine that? What really belongs to Caesar? Well, I guess you could say Caesar gets to determine who pays him what in terms of uh, how the laws are established. But what belongs to God? And the answer to that is everything, right? Everything belongs to God, including you and me and everything we have. We are just stewards doing with it what we can to glorify him. Okay, but the trap continues. The Sadducees show up and they bring a question. Now, this particular passage showed up just recently uh, in the lectionary, so you might have heard your pastors preach on it. Now, the issue that's brought up here is from uh, Deuteronomy 25.5, which really is a law that states uh, if a woman who's married and the man dies before he is able to have a child, that woman would seek the man's brothers and they should have a child together in the name of the dead brother. This is to allow the dead brother's name or lineage to continue on, right? That's supposed to be uh, the responsibility of the brother. Now, what these Sadducees are doing is they're creating this ridiculous situation. And they do this uh, to show, and and they would do this often. They didn't just do this with Jesus. Um, They would do this with the Pharisees and the scribes as well, right? That's one of the things that the three of them would argue about as to whether or not there was a actual resurrection or not. And so uh, they would bring up these kinds of ridiculous things where a woman uh, gets married, the, the husband dies, but then... She takes on a brother. He dies before she can have uh, a child. Then another, then another. So seven times this happens. It's like, come on. There's no way that this would actually happen. But what they're trying to get at as the scribe or as the uh, Sadducees is with this being such a mess, there's no way for God to ever be able to sort this out. So how can there be a resurrection? I mean, a situation like that where she marries all these children, or I'm sorry, marries all these brothers, how could she then be married to one of them at the resurrection? It wouldn't be fair to the others that she didn't marry. So since this is such an impossible situation, there's no way God could actually do this. There must not be a resurrection. I mean, first of all, can you really tell me that there's something that God cannot do? I mean, for crying out loud, this is God. This is the one that created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, spoke creation into existence, and bam, 
the beautiful garden with all the, the luscious trees and the animals, everything organized and in its kind. And yes, sin destroyed all of that. But God's the one that created it in the first place. If there's something that can be done, God will find a way to do it. This is God. Just because the Sadducees don't know how this works doesn't mean God doesn't. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. But God does. That's why he's God. That's why he's God and I'm not. And you're probably thinking, yes, we are so glad that he's God, Jacob, and you're not. <laughs> and you're all me too, right? But anyway, that's not really the answer that Jesus gives, but he could have. Just as they quote uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, they quote Moses, right? That's what it says. Uh, Jesus is going to quote Moses also. He's going to go to the book of Exodus, where uh, talking about all of this, he says, well, you know what? When people are uh, in heaven and when they're with God, um, they're actually like angels. They're not going to marry or be given in marriage. Now, I'm just going to trust God that he has all this worked out. I mean, truthfully, I'd like to be married in heaven. I, I like my wife. See, I'm going on record as saying that. I love my wife. Um, so I, I don't know exactly how God is going to have this figured out, but I trust him because, again, he's God. I'm not. I, I'm trusting that's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I know whether I'm married or not, I better go find my wife. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about it. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. But seriously, seriously, though, God has this planned out. I, I am trusting him. If I've trusted him this far, I can trust him all the way. If God was willing to send his son to give his life for me and, and restore this beautiful creation in such a way, I, I trust him. And whatever that might look like, marriage or no marriage, I, I don't know. But what his point is, and this is what he says. He says, with regards to Moses, in the passage about the bush, I'm quoting here, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but God of the living, for all live in him, right? So this is well after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died. This is in the book of Exodus. So it's not like he says he was the God of Abraham and was the God of Isaac and was the God of Jacob, as if they no longer cease to be. But they um, are alive in God. So God is the father and God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that should be great comfort for us. For those who have died in the faith, we know that God is still their God. God is still the God of my grandparents. I believe that. God is still the God of your mother, your father, your spouse, uh, your children. God doesn't die. And those who are in him will live forever and live eternally. So God is still God. Uh, that gives me a lot of great hope. I hope it does for you too. So now after this is all said, what do the scribes say? The scribes are impressed by this because this is an answer that they're not usually able to come up with when the Sadducees have these hard questions. But they say, you have spoken well, teacher. And then nobody asks him anything else. They realize that Jesus' wit far outweighs their own. So now things are going to turn a little bit. Jesus is now going to be the one that asks the questions. He says, hey, I have one for you. How can they say of 
Christ, the Christ, that the Christ is David's son, yet at the same time, in the, the Psalms, David says of his own son, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So how is it that David's son can also be David's Lord? See, the only way this could ever actually happen is if the incarnation took place. The only way David could ever be in that kind of a situation is if the divine who is Lord of all came into the flesh and was the son of David. That's the only way this could happen. And it did. So that's why David is able to say such a thing, which of course the Pharisees, the Sadducees would never be able to answer on their own. Even if they were to say, yes, it's the incarnation, but it's not you, Jesus. They would have to admit it would have to be from the incarnation. That's the only way that David could say this about his child. And of course, we do know that the incarnation happened with Jesus. Jesus is the incarnate son of God, the word of God in the flesh. So the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, they were on the hunt in this chapter. They came up empty. But Jesus also is on the hunt. And see, he knows exactly what he's searching for. He's searching for you and me. And he's going to get us just a couple chapters away. All right. Looking forward to seeing you or talking to you uh, tomorrow, chapter 21.